am Ernst Stavro Blofeld. They told me you were assassinated in Hong Kong. Yes, this is my second life. You only live twice, Mr. Welcome to Spoken Not Stirred, a James Bond podcast. My name is Harrison and I'm here as always with Daniel. Hello, Daniel. Good afternoon, Harrison. How are you doing? Good afternoon. Good, good. How was your weekend? Well, the weekend is is over. It's weekend has come and it's gone and um, it wasn't quite the same because usually we record on a Sunday and this is a Monday. So, uh, they are, yes, all fine. And all it's been fine. a couple of weeks since our last episode. Yes. Last episode we recorded just before the... Finals of the Euros. And we did. Course, it did. I think your predictions came true, or one of our predictions came <laughs> true, and uh, England went out. There you but, go. Um, there you go. Yes, well, we did Moonraker last time, yep. and uh, we agreed, or you wanted uh, us to do <laughs> You Only Live Twice, so the Only Twice it is. So here we are. Here we yeah. are. And I think it follows on quite nicely from Moonraker. I mean, you've got the space angle, but you've also got director Lewis Gilbert. You Only Live Twice is very much the precursor to Moonraker. Yeah. And The Spy Who Loved Me. Well, it's interesting, of course. This was filmed 10 years before The Spy Who Loved Me and obviously 12 years before Moonraker. So quite a long gap. And you have to question why it was so long before Lewis Gilbert was brought back to the franchise in that way. And, of course, he's the uh, third director now. Um, and it's interesting because the, the, the first director who did three of the movies was, of course, um, Terence Young. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, the the most, uh, or all, some would say the more iconic, uh, iconic of the films of all, it was done by Guy Hamilton, which was uh, Goldfinger, of course. And of course, Guy Hamilton then came back for Diamonds Are Forever and yes. the first two Roger Moore films. Uh, absolutely, but um, but he is now here. We are in 1967. This is the uh, fifth Connery movie, uh, and uh, we have a, a new director. And it's I think this is is quite an interesting period because. I think this is the first film which shows a sort of change in direction, a significant one. Firstly, you've got the actor himself, Connery, who I, I think that we have to talk about his performance in this in this movie. Um, it, it does look like he, I feel he's coasting in this film, and maybe because is a new director, if it, you know he he's able feels able to get away with far more than than he was perhaps under certainly under Terence Young. I think that Terence Young knew how to direct Connery, and I think Lewis Gilbert coming on, coming on as coming coming in as an entirely new director and one with very different background from Terence Young and Guy Hamilton. It could be that he just they just didn't work together. We, I mean, we know they yeah. didn't work overly well together, and that Connery it was already clear that he wasn't going to continue as Bond. So That's true. It doesn't justify the performance. The, 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 the role of a director is say, you're paid to do the job, you do the job I want as I want it to. I think the issue is that Lewis Gilbert is far more into, certainly when it regards to Bond films, was the big picture thing. Yeah, right? exactly. I think all his three films have a pattern, a, sam- a similarity, and Ken Adams as well. There's a, there's a similarity in the way that they're, sty- they're stylistic films. And I think he paid more attention to those elements and less, perhaps, to the main the main uh, figure of Bond. In fact, I would argue in, in this Bond is almost secondary to everything else going he on. Is, he is a sec- he, he is a much more secondary character. This this is a movie that's not really driven by Bond. It's much more driven by Spectre and this kind of whole grand scheme. Yeah. And uh, you know, as you say, that's very clear in the set design, which we'll yeah. talk about. Yeah, I, I think that's that's very clear. It's a, so it's a very different movie after, obviously, the, the, its predecessor was Thunderball, and uh, we'll come to that one at some stage. Mm-hmm. I think that's a, another interesting film in, in, in and of itself compared to what had gone before. But nonetheless, I think you've got to a stage there where you could say it, there, there are positives and there are certainly a number of negatives, which we will discuss in this film. But I think it is dramatic in the sense that even straight from the beginning i mean let's let's go straight into the the the, uh, the, the beginning of this film uh because um we have a space scene you know uh, and and you know it is we've got to remember 1967 we haven't yet had a man on the moon at this stage mm-hmm. um we haven't yet had space odyssey which came out the following year well, so uh, this you know this and i think this is the first bond film to actually feature space yes yes indeed it is and it's uh so you have this this um you know unit in space and whatever and a man walking out in in, in a spacesuit in there and all of a sudden you see this 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 
claw-like vehicle opening up and you can see what's going to happen and this man's outside of space in his spacesuit and of course the claw takes the vehicle and takes it inside and this man gets cut adrift mm -hmm. in space which is quite a frightening death a shocking death yeah i mean if you I think mean, it's about... very it's very creepy i mean i remember the first time i watched this movie there are a lot of creepy elements to this film we'll talk about a couple of the other ones but but yeah that was quite scary and the kind of i think what really lifts that mm. is you've you've not got the best model work going on it's very primitive mm. it is you know, we haven't yet had the big space films and by Moonraker, you kind of, I think the technology or the model work or whatever, we, or what have you, the production design, it all kind of got a lot more sophisticated. But um, what really makes this scene work is that kind of John Barry uh, piece of music. Da, 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 da. Da, 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 da. it really builds yeah it does i think look yeah i mean it's it's very good and that's the thing throughout this is the, is the, is the music we would come to obviously but i mean that that's an opening shocking sort of element mm. in itself this man being cast adrift into space you know it's almost you can almost feel a palpable fear of knowing you're going mm. to die in that moment in that horrible manner so it's quite a, a dramatic effect I and mean, the most dramatic so far in the franchise. I mean, here we are, say, the fifth film in, and this is a big statement to be making. So I think it's a, a, it's, it's a very powerful effect. And of course, you know, knowing what we discussed last time was Moonrake, which we say, there's, there's a similarity, of uh, course. This uh, is a trope that Lewis Gilbert uses in, in all three of his films, where in the start of Spy Love Me, it's it's submarines that are getting swallowed up by a by container ship. Mm. And in, I mean, not, not as directly relevant, but in Moonraker, you've got the hijacking of uh, Hugo Drax's own space space yeah. shuttles. Well, it does seem to be that that Lewis Gilbert as a as a one trick pony. He seems to have a one one idea of how to do movies, which are big sets, big things. Let's mm. repeat the same concept again, because of course, as did, we just, I mean, as a as a director of other films, and he, he's directed a wide range of films. Like I was watching Alfie briefly, mm. and. Um, I also gave a watch of Reach for the Sky mm. and maybe it's kind of comes, maybe the, his mm. background to Bond is closer yep. to his World War II. Well, I get what you're saying there, but nonetheless, when it comes to Bond, I think he's a one-trick pony. I think his, his film, yeah. stylistically, and, and the way the films sort of plod along are similar between this one, The Spy Who Loved Me and Moonraker. I mean, that's how, yeah. he's, and that's how he does his films. Let's begin with what I think my, my general view of this one. I watched it a few months ago and I, I really wasn't keen on it at all. And when I watched it again this time, I thought, you know, it's okay. It's okay. It's an okay film. It's watchable. It flows. Uh, I get it. It's it's certainly not the best Bond film in my view. In so in so many things that I think are, are lacking in this film. But um, if you look at the stylistic view, this is the sort of film which is best watched in a cinema. I think if you, you're watching it on a small screen, I think what you're, you're looking at more when you watch things on a small screen, this is a problem with Star Wars and all these other films which are made for the big screen, yeah? When you're looking at it, um, uh, you know, on a small screen, you're paying attention more to plot, more to uh, characters, more to in ways that I don't think you always do when you're looking at something which is stylistically on a big screen. But if you do pay attention to all the stylistic elements to it, if you look at the tremendous, you know, the space elements, which I okay, was very novel in 1967. If you look at the obviously the massive volcano scenes, these are pretty substantial elements and they are a, a visual effect, impact, stunning in that way. Uh, I think all of those elements are, are for the good. Um, what lets this film down for me in particular are, 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 are two key factors. One is obviously, I think, Sean Connery's playing it by numbers. He's just going through the motions. This is a guy who, frankly, doesn't look like he wants to be there. He doesn't put the effort in as I see it. I really think it's a very substandard performance from him. Put it this way, he does the, the job as if it's it's almost like my feelings about George Lazenby. He's doing a, a by-numbers rote performance, which is adequate. But frankly, given what we know what uh, Sean Connery has done in previous films, this is a poor performance from him on his level and his standard. I think that's the first most significant failure for me. The other the other significant failure, I think, is the leading ladies issue. Aki, there's a good rapport with her to some extent, but I, I even there, I, I don't think she's one of the best uh, Bond girls in that way. I don't think it, it, it she doesn't grab me in the same way it, it, as some of the other ones have done. 
and, and the secondary one, Kissy, uh, frankly, is is just forgotten about. But you know, I mean, I, I, her yeah, whole role yeah. is frankly ridiculous. Uh, and in fact, I was watching a documentary on this one, and and basically, the one who played Kissy, Kissy was supposed is to be Hammer, right? Yeah, yeah. She, she was, was supposed so to. Play she, play and basically, and they determined she was this one wasn't good enough. She was going to get fired. She was going to get fired, and she and she was going to commit suicide. She was going to jump. She was going to leap from the roof of the Absolutely. Dorchester Hotel. So they kept her in the film. Uh, they kept her in the film, so they gave her this stuff. Of course, and her voice was 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 it dubbed? dubbed was it, I think um, it was dubbed, dubbed by, as well. Yeah. I mean, look, this is so ridiculous so ridiculous i mean frankly she'd have been taken away to a to you know to be sectioned if that's how should she they, was should they yeah. have combined the characters of aki and yeah Kissy? i don't think I, I think the problem is here and i'm, I'm going to talk about my overall thoughts mm. uh, maybe i'll give my overall yeah because i'm going to bring this up uh, I, i'm a lot less bothered with connery's um, performance as opposed to other issues with this film namely the plot uh, and the writing and i, I think there's a because i think that's kind of the major issue i think there's a lot this film has a lot going for it uh i think it's a solid bond film not one of my favorites never has been i've always found it a little bit boring and i think part of that comes from there's a lot of kind of parts of it where there's just waffle mm. and there just doesn't seem to be a very good threading together of the story or you know the kind of they haven't really thought ah you know do we really need this and the case in point would be the scene when Bond gets married to Kissy Suzuki. Mm. Now, if you've read the novel, then you'll know that's a big part of the novel. Mm. And that's his whole part of like adopting this cover of his ja as Japanese fisherman. But it's never really developed. And it just sort of happens. It's there, but he's quickly forgotten about and kind of irrelevant. And Aki as a character is actually, I think you'd agree from what we just discussed now, she's a much more developed character. Mm. But the relationship is sort of just thrown on us yep. with Bond. And they're just assume to have this like meaningful relationship which just kind of comes out of nowhere like they he, he's, she, she comes and she's giving him the massage and he's like aki and uh <laughs> yes. and she, she responds like i'm going to enjoy very much serving under you and i, I just like where does this even come from this relationship oh, no, just comes out out nowhere. Nowhere. and oh, then nowhere. we and then we we're then made to feel all emotional and upset when she gets killed mm. and i'm like well couldn't he have maybe married her and she would have been Kissy Suzuki and then they killed her off? Yes. There'd be an element of tragedy. Like there's this formula that Bond has to always get the girl at the end. Couldn't they have broke that formula here and just had mm. Aki get killed at the end? And yeah. she was all, she was called Kissy Suzuki. And, or, or, or even killed at that moment. Because the, the marriage to Kissy just doesn't... Uh, it's it a terrible... Doesn't, Look, that, and, that, and I, I think that the writing is really... Yeah. And Roald Dahl was brought in to, um, mm. to do the kind of screen, the screenplay for this. And he brought in some characters. I think the character of Aki and Osato and uh, Helga Brandt were Roald Dahl's creation. Mm. And they did, to be fair, they did keep... I mean, the better part, the better characters were actually the Ian Fleming ones. Mm. Henderson, who's mm. killed off very, mm. very quickly, is a much more prominent character. Mm. Tanaka. Mm. Uh, and I think my overall thoughts of this film are, is this the most iconic Bond film? Now, we kind of will argue that alongside, is this more iconic than Goldfinger? I think you've made, you've already said to me that Goldfinger is yeah. more iconic. Yeah. Yeah. But Goldfinger does not, is the only Bond film, the first seven, that doesn't feature Spectre. Yes. The first eight that doesn't feature Spectre, actually. It's interesting. And the only yeah. one of Connery's era that doesn't have Spectre at all. Yeah. And it kind of stands on its own in that regard because it doesn't need Spectre. Mm. Goldfinger is a good enough villain. But but this this movie is really, I think, the definitive Bond film, if you think about it from the point that Spectre's here, Blofeld's here. You've got these huge outlandish sets. Let's go it's into It's just that. a little bit boring uh, Yeah, yeah no, 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 I think that whole Japanese scene, him becoming Japanese, I find it so cringeworthy and so bad. And he looks ridiculous. He doesn't even look Japanese even you know put aside the fact this is so ridiculous and obviously from a political correctness for you a woke era <laughs> yeah. this is terrible in, in that sense but it, it but hasn't it has that has not dated no, well <laughs> well no it has not dated. it's terrible and it just I never got it at the time I always thought this guy still doesn't look Japanese I remember as a kid watching this thinking like what the heck have they done they've just given him a mop a Beatles mop top you know sort of thing on his head and some sort of like things to his skin, but he looks no different to what he was. Well, I actually don't think it looks, he looks that bad. It's just more <laughs> the kind of bits where he's the Japanese fisherman and the whole kind of... I just don't get the point of this. I don't get what this is supposed to be achieving. What's again, the Again, this is from the book. Uh, yeah, okay, is, let's, put, I mean, let's put aside the book because look, if you, you if, unless you do like uh, Peter Hunt did with uh, A Majesty's Secret Service, which was basically just a straight adaption of the book, if you're going to go for something more dramatic and different and you brought in Roald Dahl and you've got Ken Adams and all these set design and all these things, well, then you're you're taking it based on and you're going your own direction. Fine. But to be honest, what, and also something which works in the book doesn't always work when... Yeah, exactly. That, that's, a, that's a real problem. But it's strange because they're, they're rewriting it. You know, most of this is, is not what happens in the book, mm. but then they've kept certain bits, but they haven't kept... 
good bits. Like in the book, actually, I was going to talk about Blofeld is at Bond is doing some kind of secondary mission, nothing yeah. to do with space race, nothing to do with that. But he is he, while he's in Japan, he happens to hear that there's this guy who's this this eccentric foreigner who's got mm. this castle on the coast in Japan. And he has this garden of death with 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 deadly animals mm. and poisonous plants and piranhas. Mm. They kept the piranhas, but I'm like, couldn't they have given, brought more yeah. of that into well, the into the book? And the Blofeld is is dressed as a samurai. Maybe they maybe they shouldn't have kept that. But <laughs> but could they not have developed that garden well, of death look, idea a little look, more? To be, to be honest <laughs> with you, there are and as you will know with the Bond franchise over the years, elements which have been used in books and haven't yet been used may return in some form in a film in some way. So you can't say they may never revisit these things. But they weren't. They chose not to use them in this way. Look. Yeah, I get your point. I mean, I think the Japanese elements of things, it really doesn't look as a spectacle of Japan and of some of the scenery, you know, as well as the set designs. This is a beautiful film. It's got tremendous pulling power on that. That's why I say it lends itself to a large screen not to a small screen in that mm -hmm. way. Which is, I've, again, true of all of Lewis Gilbert's Yeah, absolutely. He's, uh, yeah. Like Moonraker is very, very oh, absolutely. similar. And Spy Love Me, fantastic absolutely. films, great locations, beautiful cinematography. Yeah. But does it do they have enough substance? Like, well, uh, you know, look, uh, you that, know, that's my, really the question. Well, uh, my, issue, my issue was, I thought, uh, you know, I think of the Lewis Gilbert films, this is possibly, of the three, this is the one I liked least. Um, I actually, I, I like, mm -hmm. I, you know, I, I really do like Moonraker for all its faults in many ways. I think mm -hmm. there's lots of good things. Spy Love Me, I think, is a is a classic. Oh, yeah, way, yeah. Right? I yeah. think this is the weakest one of the three in, in, in the way that it is. And it's not because of the set designs. It's not because of the scenery. It's because there are so many things in this film which really are lacking or, or really it's the whole isn't the sum of the parts. It really is a film which, you know, if you start taking off bit by bit, you think, no, nah, no, don't like that. You know, oh, that's okay. Oh, that's okay. But no, it it doesn't really hold together as a as a firm film. So I think there are there are major problems I have in in ways. There are some good parts. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I think there are some. I mean, there are some great scenes here. I mean, some of my favourite scenes in Bond are in this film. I mean, they're not necessarily the ones that we would expect. No, such as give, I, us a, give me a couple I mean, of examples. Uh, one of my earliest memories of watching this film is the scene where he meets uh, Dicko Henderson. Mm played by Charles Grey, who, of course, would later on go play Blofeld. But Only a few years later. Four years later, he's four years later. <laughs> I've heard some people sort of say, is he the same character? No, he's just the same actor. I mean, it's like... And, of course, Charles Grey in this film, I mean, he's only 39. He really? Looks, he looks ancient. Really? He's 39 in this film. Really? Yeah. Wow. Yeah, he's only two years older than Sean Connery. Wow. Uh, and, uh, yeah, Henderson. And, and But that's a strange, that scene with Henderson, it's an interesting it's, film. It's just so... I, it, I don't say iconic, but it kind of... It, it just It's just one of these things I remember, and... First of all, Henderson is quite a creepy guy. Mm. So he, he he's framed almost like a villain in this. Mm. And Bond is very suspicious of him. Mm. And and there's just it's just a very well shot, well directed scene. And he just in the he's cut off mid-sentence. <laughs> and then he's got these piercing blue eyes that are just looking at nothing. And his <laughs> mouth is half open. And then you've got he's got the knife in the back. Well, uh, and I, I was I was I found that quite creepy and scary. Actually, yeah, well it was strange. It was strange. I also found what was found creepy and funny about it is also he's telling Bond he's been in this place for twenty eight years or whatever, and all, you know, all of a sudden meeting Bond has been a death of him. You know, this is almost quite funny. It's sort of like, well, I always feel like if he had this key information, why didn't they kill him before he came to this situation with Bond? You know, why did they wait until he meets Bond? Because surely then you kill Bond. You don't kill. You know, what's what's the issue? Surely he had many opportunities to have written this down or passed it on to anybody else. So so why wait till this mm. moment for other than dramatic effect for a film? That's the well, only. Would you have liked to have seen a little bit more of Henderson? Look, he was an interesting like, character. Because he is... Mm. I mean, I, I'm not going to say he's the Karen Bay of this film, because that's probably Tiger Tanaka. Uh, but Tanaka would yeah. you have liked to have seen... Because yeah, in yeah. the novel, Henderson is really a much more important character. Look, he is he's a, a character that teases us and then he's gone before you blink, you know, and that's, I think, a bit unfortunate in this film. I think it's, it, it, he is a loss in, in, in it because... Uh, say, because we don't really... I mean, Tanaka's a good secondary character. Yeah. Aki is okay, but we don't really... Well, look, I, I, again, I, I think it, yeah, that's true. Aki's okay, but I think, look, he, um, we could have got more, but we didn't. Let's let's look at some of the characters. Let's look at some of the allies or the allies to Bond. Then I mean, mm -hmm. we, this was Henderson was one, and then as you said, Tiger Tanaka is is the main one. He's almost like the Karen Bay, and uh, he's of the uh, secret service. And well, the funny things, obviously, of course, where he has his own underground tube network, uh, and he says, that. and he says, I'm sure your bot, your M has got this there, and like, Bond sort of goes like, oh, oh, oh yes, 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 of course, of course, of course. Of course. yeah, yeah. I mean, that's funny. That's a funny instant yeah. in this way. I think there's an element. Well, that that whole that whole bit where he. 
he's mm. got this underground underground station. I don't think he actually has a train, but mm. his base in the novel is actually at an un, a disused mm. underground station. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, no, look, look, it's, look. That's he, look, he's a good character. I think it's. Uh, I think he is um, entertaining and uh, a good rapport with him. Is he too subservient to Bond? Because you have got to remember, this guy is the head of the Japanese Secret Service. Well, he's not head of Station J. No, no, it's he, true. He's, he's his own. He's his own thing. Well, it's, it's interesting that Aki seems to be this sort of his main agent almost in this in this movie, which is a bit odd. Well, he does know. He, he has quite. He has the whole ninja training school. He has, oh, yeah. well, he has a lot of agents walking around okay. with. Uh, well, he's got such a great training school that he has to get this guy who managed to infiltrate and almost kills Bond in the train. That's such a great train, you know. And then they have to a... look at him and they look at him quite carefully and like, oh, this guy isn't part of the school. Oh, yeah. what's happening? So how do they get into the school? I mean, it's, it's, it's things which don't quite tie in that sense. Yeah. But I mean, look, the introduction and the meeting of him when he when Bond is, is following Aki, who somehow manages to save Bond when he's gone gone to uh, the uh, the um, safe, to, to crack the safe in uh, yeah. Osato's uh, building and stuff and, yeah. uh, and gets out. And amazingly, she just happens to be passing by in her car, you know, and, and well, she's tailing him, tailing, she's but tailing him in this way, but happens to be ready for him in this manner yeah. and jumps in, in this way. And he and the bond falls down this kind of uh, shoots helter skelter slide yeah. straight into Tanaka's office. And we think, we think, as the viewers watching he's the, the first bad. time, yeah. we think he's the bad yeah, yeah. he's got the evil laugh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. he's got the villainous kind of layer, yeah. And I think that's kind of good of this film is you kind of think you've you've got someone who's a villain like Henderson like Tanaka and they're actually uh... yeah 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 well that's a whole incident that gets there of course. And, and later on with Helga Brandt you think ah she's going to turn she's going to go well, we'll come she's going to go down the Percy route but of yeah, course yeah. that doesn't happen yeah well let's come to her shortly but I mean this this issue of him getting to there and of course he gets there because he, he, he kills the assassin who killed um, Henderson in this way and he steals his steals his shoes steals his shoes now, yeah how and does I, he I, I was watching this I was watching this thinking <laughs> wow you know Sean Connery's wearing some pretty cool shoes white and black shoes wow that looks really cool and then only like a week and I've seen this movie many times only a week or two ago I was like oh actually he took the shoes from the guy that he... well uh, my answer is why why why, why? why did he take his shoes firstly isn't it amazing they just happened to fit him perfectly these shoes that he happens to take from this assassin but yeah why take the shoes why just not take ah, them out ah, yeah. you know why because the shoes were so inconspicuous that the, the driver of the car who he later get, gets into probably would have noticed Sure, that guy had white and black shoes. <laughs> but it's a bit the whole situation. It gets in there and gets into the place and gets in breaking in, gets into yeah. uh, you know, you an know, interesting the fact. The guy who uh, the, the the heavy in this bit yeah. is actually the he was a Hawaiian wrestler. Yeah, yeah. And he's actually the step grandfather of the Rock. Um, if mm. that is a significant fact or not, I don't know, but. <laughs> Well, look, it's very it's interesting. Great, it's a great fight scene. It's a great fight scene. It's a, it is quite. And this of, is a great headquarters. No, it is. It is not bad in getting him to there and getting him to meet to Tanaka and getting him into that introduction. I think that works. That's quite a nice work scene. I like all of that. I like the introduction there. I like the traveling on the train. I like all of those things. That works. That works well. Let's um, talk about the death of Bond at the beginning. Yeah. Then, oh yes. Yes. So do you, do you like? It's not one of my favourite openings. I just think it's a bit daft. I it's think been, it's, it's kind of been done before. Well, you say it's been done before. Obviously, it's done. It's done again in, in in later films in Skyfall. You could yeah. you go with the death of Bond, which isn't the death of Bond. But I mean, I don't get it. Is the Chinese girl? Is she in on this or not? She, well, she's. I think. She's well, in well, on she says. But I then think everyone is in on it. Well, hold on. But why does she say, um, you know, Mr. You know, um, sort of love you, dot, and then she pulls the thing. I out. think it's. I think it's very clear that she's in on it because later on, when Bond is speaking to Money Penny, and then mm. later on when he's talking to Aki in the massage scene, mm. he's like, "I got cut off last time I had a massage," mm. uh, and she, he's like, "Oh, how was the Chinese girl we set you up?" With? Yeah, 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 we, yeah. We, so yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. I think it's a but, so, but then he's, so the actress actually, yeah. interestingly, she was a well-known actress. Her brother's actually in this film, apparently. Right, right. He plays the secretary to Alsato, the guy right. who says who says very specifically, "Oh, you're three and a half minutes early." Yeah, she actually appeared later on in a, in a in Casino Royale so and the fu the funeral. Yes, yes. Well, well, I mean that's a great that's a great sequence. Yeah, it is. You know, being being um, at sea, burial at, at sea, and then clearly, uh, as soon as he goes down, he's ready, <laughs> they're ready to to, to yeah. rescue him. And of course, he's um he's, he's got uh, breathing apparatus and so forth, and he's rescued, and he comes back to, to like, in the ship. And I think and this is the first time we see Money Penny and yeah. M yes. in the field, and yes. they've got this great like submarine office, which doesn't really make any sense. <laughs> and but, none of it makes sense. But then that it? submarine yeah. is then in Hong Kong, and then makes its way to Japan. But what a lot of people, what I don't get. Or, we assume he comes up out the sh out of the, out of the water mm. in 
or somewhere in Hong Kong yeah, yeah. and then makes his way to Japan. Mm. But it implies that he ended up somehow magically in Japan within a very short space of time. But... <laughs> I, yeah, I don't, I, don't, I don't know how they do that. But I mean, look... Um, but yeah. what, what is the purpose of killing him? Because I don't they, know. I... But later on, Blofeld does make reference to it. He's like, I thought you were assassinated yeah, in yeah. Hong Kong. But I don't, I, it he's... doesn't play... It doesn't really explain. I mean, it doesn't it, really it, like... It doesn't, it doesn't make it, sense. The, the, the Spectre do... All the villains assume that Bond is dead, so they mm. don't know they're dealing with Bond. Yeah, yeah. But Mate... somehow they don't seem to recognise him or there's, there's a pic... No, no one knows yeah. what he looks like. Look, I, I, find, I find that not the, the best part. And I think it's, it's sort of like... I look, I look at it thinking, well... What has this really given me, or what's the purpose in this one? I didn't quite get to get a lot of that one. But look, let's let's move on and look at again some of the villains, right? We've we've mentioned, um, you know, um, well, we, let's get let's get to Asato, you Asato know, Asato and, and, yeah. Hel and Helga Brand, yeah, you know, these are you know two villains, and to be honest here, there's a similarity from 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 Russia with Love in my feeling in this film. This is a bit like you know your, your chess player and and uh, what's her name and. Um, Rosa Klebb. Rosa Klebb. It's exactly, it's exactly, it's that sort of setup. So you see Asato as like Kronstein. Yes. And uh, Rosa yeah. Klebb, obviously a more attractive Rosa Klebb than, yeah, than yeah. in that matter. But there's a she, similar. She's, she's a kind of Fiona Volpe part two yes, though, from it's, Thunderbolt. It's, exactly, it. exactly. She is in that way. And I thought, is it the same woman again? What's going on here? Because it's almost. Yeah, they don't really differentiate the two because they go from one red, uh, like she's she's redheaded as, as yeah. is. Yeah, Fiona yeah, Volpe. it's very, very strange in, in the manner that they produce. Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, this, 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 she, she's good though. I really like her as a henchman. I mean, well, Sato is quite subservient and he's very much. Yeah, yeah in, in this in this manner, yeah, of course, when, of course, when he goes to to meet him in his place where he is and uh we have other henchmen as well we have the, the hans character who's again silent the silent again assassin. they haven't developed that character yeah at all. i don't like, i think if you're gonna have a henchman give him at least some menace earlier on in the film yeah. Because at the end, when they have this fight, you don't really you're like, ah, oh, well. I think Hans is a, throw, a throwaway character, frankly, best forgotten. I think he does he achieves very nothing apart from being thrown into the, the uh, piranha fish towards the end. He, he serves yeah. no. He serves no purpose also. Innocent. That the two key villains, apart from Blowfield, who we're going to come to, is clearly um, Osato and Helga Brandt. Helga Brandt, I think, is the better of the two in my view yeah. in this one. Um, it's rather strange, however. Having said all of that, her interaction with Bond, it's almost like. You know where she where she captures him, or he's captured and he's tied up. She takes a scalpel out, and they think this is going to get bad. This is going to get bad. And then within a second, she's she's being seduced by him, or she seduces Bond, lets him out. It's almost like he's 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 for doing nothing. His charisma has just bought her over almost, which is rather strange. And you think, well, what happened there? What what happened? How did this woman, who's you know her first real meeting, proper meeting with Bond, has come to you know serious meeting, if you like, after her initial meeting with Bond earlier? But this one, what's happened in this matter? But even stranger, and I think quite uniquely for a Bond film, unless you can correct me, she then turns again in in the in the, you know at uh, when they're in the plane, you know he's gonna he says you know I will get you out of this. You know, she basically takes out her her perfect whatever and locks him, throws a smoke bomb or whatever, and locks him into the plane and by jumping out and leaving him to die. It's it's almost like hello, what's what's going on? Mm. So I find the whole I had a, I had a theory of why she kills him in the plane. It's a bit of a, a bit tries of a stretch, to kill him. because there doesn't seem to be any logical explanation no, no, why you all. would crash a plane. Why you exactly? Leave someone. Obviously, they then repeat it in in Moonraker. Actually, there is yeah. a, they try and like kill Bond in a plane crash. Yeah, yeah. I think that that they don't want the plane to be tracked as where it's going because she, obviously that she's she's got to go to the the volcano layer. So she's jumping out of the plane right yeah, near yeah. the volcano layer and wants the plane to crash as a result so that no one knows where the plane is. Yeah, yeah going. maybe, maybe, but look, and kill Bond at the same time. Look, I, I think there's and it's a... probably a convenient way to get rid of Bond rather than murdering him on a ship. I don't think that the two, to be honest, Asato and her, I think it doesn't quite work, this issue of Blofeld. Really, is Blofeld necessary? Uh, because really, shouldn't those two just be the villains and Asato be the villain, uh, you know, leading inspector, failing in it all, Bond killing him and whatever. It will, why did they need those two and... Uh, Blowfield. I think this is a problem for me in this movie. I think it's they've got a villain overdosing in this one. It's, it's, it's un, it seems to be. And Asato doesn't really do much. No, he, I agree. He, he's he's more of a kind of coordinator. He is the Kronstein. Yeah, yeah, I agree. And I, to be honest, he reminded me of Haifat in in, um, I, in, yeah. in in the Man with a Golden Gun. Yeah. It's a similarity in this situation. Similarity in the fact that in in, in that film, Scaramanga kills him. In this one, Blowfield kills him in this manner you know it's almost failure we that's how get, we deal with failure you know we do get a nice little payoff because we expect that we expect that Osato is going to get killed first yes uh, in, in the way that Kronstein gets killed first yeah, yeah. In, from Russia with Love but that doesn't actually happen we get this nice little twist where it's actually Helga Brandt that gets dumped in the piranha pool piranha pool and that's and, the then, end of... and then of course uh, we get this nice little payoff at the end 
this is the price of failure, Mr. Bond, and Blofeld just shoots. Uh, yeah, yeah. Okay, well, look, that, that, that brings us... I think Blofeld is is the most important character Okay, let's br- let's Okay, let's bring ourselves to Blofeld then. Yeah. Okay, so I want your your views of Blofeld, because I've got mine. I, I'll be really interested I, to your I, I'm a big believer in, in having different kind of portrayals of Blofeld and James Bond, and, you know, I, I like the fact that different actors have brought different kind of mm. takes to it. I think in some ways Donald Pleasance is, is the definitive Blofeld, if only if you kind of look at it from who is the character as written by Fleming, who is closest to that character, I'd say it's Donald Pleasance. Uh, he kind of portrays the character with this kind of you know, hard to place kind of accent and, mm. you know, this kind of creepy mannerism, which is just not there in Tony Savalas in the next film is, you know, he is a much stronger character. He has a physicality, but he he's playing the character as, as more of a kind of heavy kind of with an, with an American accent. It's a lot. It doesn't really have the same mm. believability. Um Interestingly, Donald Pleasance was brought in last minute to replace Jan Werich, who's mm. a Czech actor. And they mm. originally wanted Blofeld to have this kind of, you know, you have the, the, the bearded character. And we kind of get a feel for what that character would have been like in uh, Never Say Never, Never Again. Again. And mm. I think that's my, the Max von, si- von Sydow portrayal is much closer to the mm. original idea that the mm. producers had here. But we, we've also, we've, we get a nice build up. It's very, in some ways, it's very similar to Doctor No. And it's a build-up we've had since From Russia with Love. We don't, we we never see Blofeld in this movie. We don't actually we hear him, we see the back of him, and then finally we we see him in this kind of mm. when Bond comes. I think I think it's only when Bond is is Bond Bond arrives in the last 20, 30 minutes of the mm. film that we actually see Blofeld for the first time. Mm. And it's just like there's kind of an interesting framing of it because Hans is like in the way at one point, like Blofeld just moving into the side. It's like yeah, <laughs> I don't know. Okay, so look. I, I like the introduction of Blofeld. I like the build-up to it. I yeah. think it kind of really harkens back to that suspense we've had throughout and the Doctor No intro. Yeah, in well, okay, so look, I have to tell you, I think it's a major disappointment. I actually don't like it at all. I actually think Donald Pleasance is not my favourite. In fact, I don't think any of the Blofeld portrayals have been particularly good. Um, look, the last film I told you, one of the best villains, I think, and remained, it was uh, Hugo Drax. I think he had an element of of austerity about him there's something austere about him he had a sense of i found him quite creepy as a kid Uh, he scared me a bit as a kid i found him he had that aura about him of this guy he turns around after everything we'd seen and we'd heard the voice previously this this argument about the voice and stuff remember we had anthony dawson who was playing him in in, Mm -hmm. in previous films and this plays the body, plays, 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 plays the body plays, not the voice. Yeah, plays the body, not the voice. But yeah, well, you know, yeah, but, um, well, but no, hold on, who does the voice? Who Eric did, Pullman. Oh, it's Eric Pullman, of course. Yeah. It's Eric Pullman. Yeah. Eric Pullman. So Eric Pullman did the voice, and we had a sense of what that voice was and how it was in this way. And then this guy turns around. And he goes, yeah, I only live twice with the bond. He talks like this all the time. I don't like his voice at all. I think it's ridiculous. He's laughable. It's a comical character. I'm sorry. I don't think he's got any sense of gravitas. I really don't like Donald Pleasance's role. I think his, his playing of it is is poor. I, I want to hear someone who's creepy, like a Darth Vader sort of character, some with presence, mm-hmm. and some with gravitas. This guy... You know, no, Mr. Bond, you know, only left twice. You know, I'm, you know, I'm thinking, like, it's so ridiculous. I can't, I think it's laughable. I, I, I like it in the way that it's kind of the creepiness of it and that, in that it's, it's understated because you're expecting someone who has a real presence and he doesn't have that. And, and he's, a, he's, 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 he's quite a diminutive, diminutive figure alongside, mm. uh, next to Bond, which Telly Savalas in the next film obviously is, isn't. He has that physical presence. But I actually like the fact that we're expecting this guy to be this uh, larger-than-life character, and he's not. But he doesn't scare me. He's, he's got nothing to me, honest. What I want to see with Blofeld is this guy is creepy. Look, I'm sorry. I think the issue with the piranha fish business and stuff like that, like, like that, that was that was sort of like, that was an element of creepiness in that way, in the way it was done. But there isn't that, that, but, but, that but that is the point of Blofeld. Blofeld should, should be someone that, that has this power that it's not in a physical presence. It's not in that the way he speaks or the charisma that he has or doesn't have. It's more that in his in his evil, and you hear in the in the things he says, he says, you know, you know, you can watch this all go down on TV. But he doesn't. But he doesn't. Like, to me, yeah, look, for me personally, he doesn't. No, but, carry I, but I can absolutely respect that. You, yeah, I just, I just don't really take to it. I don't think yeah. he's a great. I don't. There, but I would say there are much better villains. Like this is yeah. not one of my favorite. Yeah, villains. I, so my, my issue, uh, I think he's built up. 
as being almost this 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 great figure, Blofeld. And I'm sorry, I, from the portrayals, all of the portrayals, and I, you know, whether this he's the worst or Charles Gray is the worst is, is a debatable thing. Telly Savalis plays it very differently, and yeah. I don't I don't I don't think he's great either as the bloke. I don't think he, any he's, of Donald Pleasance is playing. I mean, the, the the Bond films hadn't yet descended into that because of mm. having fun self parody yeah. thing in Diamonds of Forever. Mm. So he's playing this straight. Uh, whereas you know we could talk about Charles Gray and it's you yeah know, not as good a performance if you think about it in terms of playing it straight, but it's a great performance. Well, it's of course it's, it's a lot of fun uh, and... in that way. But but look, I, I but, don't, it doesn't it doesn't do it for me. I think yeah. there are better villains. In, I, I think there. Are, I, I think unfortunately we've not seen the definitive Blofeld. No, Christoph Waltz was a wasted opportunity in Spectre. We'll see, we'll see what he does with it in No Time to Die, but I, I remain sceptical. Yeah. There are much better villains. Look, I agree. is a better villain. Doctor, Go- Doctor No Hands yeah. Down is a better you know, villain. I, yeah. mean, I mean, even Goldfinger's a better villain in that sense. I, I've, got yeah. more, I've got more sense of this is someone of... Goldfinger of has more yeah. of a... More of a present, kind of more developed. It seems more yeah. developed. The trouble is, uh, uh, you know, I think that uh, Fran Sanchez and Zorin. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That, yeah. I think you're right. Yeah, I think is. I think there's, there's been this big build up, and here we are, and it's boom. That's it. I just looked at it thinking, that's it. Really, really. Is that all you come? I would have been better actually to never reveal him. To never reveal it, always keep him in the shadows, always keep him this creepy man, and you never get to meet what this man this does all this evil, and it's always the thing that Bond is always chasing after and can never catch. You know that to me is really what. Of course, better. it doesn't really work later in in on on a Majesty's Secret yeah. Service that Bond is apparently there and. In, he doesn't even recognise him, and, and he doesn't recognise it. He knows him with Blofeld, but yeah. he doesn't think the Blofeld's not going to recognise him. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, the whole thing is look, we well, know, and, and, that's, and that's part of the challenge with the fact that this was done yeah, out of yeah, sequence. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I think that's 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 a, weak, okay. a, a weakness. In so don't, I'm not keen on, on that one. Uh, we, okay, look, what about the um, the music and the and uh, in this film? I mean, what's huh? your feeling? What's your music of the theme and of the music throughout the film? Let's start with the title song. Yeah, it's not one of my favourites, mm. but it has this creepy kind of haunting quality to it and it's it, i think the spiritual successor to this song is probably moonraker which i don't like at all but really but oh, see, that's i, I think in terms of the in terms of the tone and the haunting nature of it yeah. i think this 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 is a very sort of standalone song you can't really there is no song that really sounds just like mm. it goldfinger thunderball you know this the bombastic, bombastic yeah. th- this is a much more subtle song and it's yeah. got this kind of um exoticism to it but still not one of my favorites what's your yeah yeah look i think it's it it doesn't grab me in the same way uh, as as uh, in fact it, it it's a, a bit forgettableish uh, type of uh, track actually it's nancy sinatra um it's 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 a bit bland if i was if i was being fair you know so my feeling is i, I don't think it really yeah. it doesn't have that i think coming after Thunderbolt. Thunderbolt. Well, Thunderbolt. Just... I'm not over keen on Thunderbolt. Yeah, it's, bon- it's very it's just a much more fantastic. Yeah, it is more fantastic in, in this sense. I mean, it's a nice, it's a sort of noisy sort of tracky. You won't leave him. You know, it's a lot, a nice, but and you've got that nice yeah. sort of instrumentation of mm. it. And and Robbie Williams, you know, when I was growing up, Millennium was a big song, and he sampled this quite. Yeah, yeah, yes, yeah. I mean, look, it's not, it's not one of the greatest in my opinion. It's not one of the greatest, but the soundtrack, the soundtrack as a whole, is actually pretty good. No, it's got some good, good, some good. Barry creates some really good suspense, as I've spoken about already. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The death of Aki. uh, I sent, I sent you a kind of uh, bit from the 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 soundtrack suite, and uh, that's actually a very you know romantic piece, and it's got this real kind of. Uh, this tones of regret and mm. it's, it's a very kind of it almost harkens back to an earlier age of filmmaking mm. uh, melodrama and it kind of fits well in this film but it's probably a little bit overplayed over yeah 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 um you've got this kind of the wedding in japan it's not one of my favorites though not no. one of my favorite soundtracks i think no. thunderball and balance is probably better better yeah. much with love on a majesty's secret services yeah look i, I think um, we're in we're in a coasting period. This is my, my yeah. issue. This film is it's got its strengths, as I said. The the visualizers, and I get your point about this being more definitive than Goldfinger. I mean, I, I say we can debate that over in times about whether whether that is true or not, but or, or whatever and things. But I, I get your point about it. Certainly sets a scene for the big big sets and 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 those i think that's true the one one thing that did remind me of things of recollections to later films is the uh when uh with uh aki's being killed it reminded me a bit in octopusy of the guy with the uh saw chain trying trying to kill and the, dri- the, the, the water that drips Dri- down. and that, that was similar in that in that sense that brought that back to me and that well of course this is the earlier film of the two yeah look i, I think it's it's just, to me it's an okay film 
You know, it's not a film that I could spend, you know, as we can do, you and I, if we let ourselves go, speak for hours. I just don't think it's a film which really is so exciting and so so imaginative to make me do that, which is why it's in my lower tier of films. Yeah. You know, it's watchable. It's an okay, you know. And again, giving it two, two and a half stars, maybe, maybe three, if I pushed it. If you And I think it's very difficult rating films. Let me just tell you this. I yeah. know you and I have done this in the past, tried to rate our films and we go back. I think it's so difficult to rate films in this way. There are films which you just don't want, but rating your top films, I think it's a really, really difficult thing, particularly because sure. like, we all might have one which we like more than others. You know, I might say Live and Let Die, I think it's a really great film, or Goldfinger, you know, put them in, in, in close to the, you know, in the top three or whatever. But when you're getting down to your top 10, you know, it's difficult. But this film is not in the top 10. It won't be in my top it has, 10. It has, it has scenes and parts that are definitive Bond, easily top 10 kind of, bits but the sum of it's just not the sum of its parts so no it doesn't the... it doesn't it doesn't really um have that yeah as i, as I said earlier, I, I think unfortunately it's just boring in parts, it's that, parts that's but, my kind but of... there's one thing we haven't discussed one element we haven't discussed which we really must discuss uh which i think is a, is a significant part of this film little nelly we haven't little nelly, we haven't yeah, mentioned yeah, it at all yeah, now yeah, yeah. little nelly to me is a is a is a brilliant piece because this is we haven't mentioned q we haven't mentioned at all that 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 thing q seems a bit grumpy in this in this in this film really quite grumpy doesn't want to be there sort of thing but he brings you know bond says bring little nelly you know once what's little nelly we're saying and, and then we see this meccano thing being put together almost yeah. in this manner in, in in this way and it's a fabulous little gadget and whatever and he goes up and yeah. he takes on all these enemies he's got all these firepower in this tiny little you know piece of Meccano flying in the air and it does its job or so forth and it's I mean it's a great little thing it's, I mean, and, scene. and again like you know obviously I agree with that it's a great it's a great fun scene and um you know I obviously love that as a kid um it just it, it, again yeah. though it's yeah. sort of we got some great set pieces in this yeah, film yeah yeah and, and that's one of them yeah but it just doesn't it just the it's just not the, the threading to, I don't know if it's the threading together or the the overall plot or the character I think I think this this movie is probably it's, it's partly got the issues with the plot and mainly in the characterizations. They yeah. just haven't really got it. I think that's right. Down. I think I think it all all, all felt maybe. And I, if I look, if I was trying to be fair to Sean Connery uh, and my critique of his performance here, it may well be that he was, himself was underwhelmed with elements of the plot. He felt like you know you're yeah. not pulling me in. I don't I don't think Sean Connery is the fundamental flaw. No, he's not, he's not. He's not. He's not. He's not. I he think. I mean, he obviously doesn't. You know, doesn't. Well, I, I, raise I, I, it to look, the kind the, of the flaw. Look, you have to hold. I have to say, uh, Lewis Gilbert has to be the one responsible. He's, if the director is the one which makes the decisions on what you cut and whatever, and I think he he wasn't the right person when it comes to directing Sean Connery. I mean, that's, but, but obviously that, directing Roger Moore is kind it, of... It, yeah, well, it must be. So, yeah, it, well, well, in many ways, although, as I said to you, in Moonraker... Because Lewis Gilbert's so, films are... A lot of them are a lot more light-hearted. So, that's right. So to direct, that would lend itself but to directing I, I, Roger Moore. Well, it but, did, but that's why I said to you, what I said to you when we did Moonraker last last time. Um, you know, I think he let Roger, Roger Moore too much, too loose in Moonraker, and I think that really yeah. was, went wrong. So I think Lewis Gilbert is a bit of a problem. I think he, he likes the visuals, he likes all that stuff, but he lacks in the discipline. You need in a much more disciplined sort of um, director to pull this, to tighten this up a bit. I think this could have been a better film if the if it was tightened up in certain elements and certainly, you know, the issue. I mean, I think it's instructive. What I said, if you watch the documentary where he said about the the actress, you know, she threatened to to jump out the window if he did. My answer would have been, you know, what she wants to jump, she jumps, or you get take her off to see a medic or whatever. But she's ain't right for the film. You don't sacrifice a flipping film for some person who's got a mental health. I mean, it's a serious issue. If this woman clearly was at risk, at risk, you get get her treatment and you take it. And you, that's a serious issue. But you don't say, well, we'll give her the. This is a film. This is a major film. You you know what? Are yeah. you, you I think that's a seriously bad. It says to me that Lewis Gilbert was a weak director. He's not a strong man who knows how to be able to pull things into part. He he's easily guided by others, and that's I think the weakness. I, I think that's a fair point, and also I think what we have to remember is Bond films. You know, unlike other 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 films or franchises, that it's very much producer led. Yeah. So it's ultimately you know whatever Harry Saltzman and Cubby Broccoli wanted, that's what happened. Mm. And that was the way they did it. And I, I think the, the directors, the early directors, didn't really, I don't think any director, um, Sam Mendes has tried to do it, Inspector mm. and Skyfall, tried to put a stamp of mm. an auteur, an auteur yeah. feel. Yeah, yeah, yeah. These, are not direct, these are not director films. These are not films for an auteur director to come in and put their stamp of creativity mm. on. And, and the director is ultimately a safe pair of hands if you look at the, 
the John Glenn period in particular, the mm. 80s, you know, very much going along with what the producers want and man managing. Maybe that's why Danny Boyle walked out of the last... Uh, yeah, uh, and I think that's thing. probably exactly yeah, like, yeah. He felt, if you let me do it, or I'm not interested. And I think that's probably right. I think there is, a, there is an issue, that, but I think the director should be trusted to get things right. If, you, if, you're, if you're not trusting your director, then frankly, the director should say, I'm walking, because I, I think that's true. But all I can say to you, we don't know the ins and outs of all of that. What I do know is, ultimately, um, you know, apart from the visual spectacle that it is... And we talk about the set design in particular set design, in this film. Very good. I think Canada, sets, this Canada. film probably has the best sets, pound for pound, of any Bond film. I don't think that the sets in Moonraker or Sky Who Loved Me, and we, we, you know, obviously they're kind of... Uh, harken back to this film but mm. i don't think they're on the same quality or level of this you've got to remember the volcano layer cost more than the budget of dr no so a million pounds i think it's a million pounds or i can't remember if it's a million pounds a million dollars probably mm. it's it's huge and it's got a working monorail it's it's uh, and i think again you said that you know we should really be watching this film on the big screen mm. because you, i was watching the, the dvd copy and then mm. the blu-ray the blu-ray you can see a little bit better but there, there are some brilliant mm. action pieces mm. in mm. this film look I think I think that's true, and, uh, and they all take place within that set. And it's not limited to the, vo the vo it's not just the volcano set; it's the, mm. the Henderson set. You've you've got the Tanaka's lair. Um, you've just got consistently good set design in this film. The Aki's the room where, yeah. where Aki's murdered. It's it's you could just come on. Like, every part of this film is so no, well agree. choreographed in that sense. I agree with you. The, the the only obvious thing we haven't spoken about is 1967 was a year in which two other films came out. Very close to this one. One of which was Casino Royale. We'll talk about it in a sec. Uh, interestingly, John Connery's brother was in a movie that was called OK Connery or Operation Kid Brother or mm. Operation 00007. Mm. And that movie actually was kind of spoofing this and spoofing Casino Royale. It was mm. a spoof on a spoof and right. on an actual film. Yeah. So this was a real kind of year where Bond mania was going on. And I, I feel like you can kind of look at this film alongside those other two and it still just about comes out on top. What do you think? Well, well, have you seen? Have you seen? I, I'm got, assuming you haven't seen. I, I, I've, I've seen Casino Royale, and less said about that, the better from my perspective. But I haven't seen the OK Connery one. Look, I, I look at this, you know, I look at it within the franchise of what we know and expect, or even Never Say Never, which wasn't part of the franchise. It still tries to be a serious film in its way. So I think the rest of them, I don't class them as that. Uh, I, I judge it in comparison to its it, to other films in the franchise, previous and obviously subsequently. And um, you know, clearly for me. This this film is is an all right film, but I think it's a bit of a disappointment in the actual plot uh, element of this compared to what had gone previously. Uh, if I was a, you know watching them in order, I'd be saying stunning, fantastic sets, great stuff, but lousy plot. That's what I would be saying. Right. And and I say I'd be uh, my, my my fundamental part about this film is my underwhelming feeling of Blofeld. Really unimpressed by Donald Pleasance. Apart from yeah, I just don't. It doesn't do it for me at all. I think he's a major disappointment. So that's that's it for me. So what's your view, your overall view? My overall you... view is I, I ultimately you have to kind of say how much do I enjoy this film. And this is a film that I really want to enjoy. There are great bits. Like, this is a movie that I would put on just to watch some of the set pieces. Yeah. I, I, I think ultimately it's the execution, as you say, the plot. Mm. They kind of they, they really kind of want to give us this sort of travelogue feel, which is great if you want to sit back and just watch and enjoy the scenery. But mm. there just isn't enough substance to it for me. No. So I don't agree with you on Donald Pleasance, but I agree with you on most of the other points we made. So well, that's... that's... So I, I I would say very reluctantly, I'd give this a two and a half out yeah, of five, yeah. which you know I may have to revisit some of my other rankings later <laughs> on, but it's sort of bang smack in the middle or lower. I think, I low, think like, yeah. like touching that's where the I, lower That's where tier. I think I am. I think if I was give it three, it'd be very generous. I think two and a half is probably yeah. the most I'd give it. And I think uh, it's kind yeah. of like, kind of a lot of it comes down to actually, which movie do I find more boring, this or Fundable? And yes. Fundable may actually sit below this. Just I, I, I think it's... it might be when we come to Fundable because I don't think. And that's actually, a... that's yeah. one. That's one. That's one thing that they did actually improve on on Fundable. And Fundable, they kind of spent a lot of time filming underwater no. sequences and having big, these big, yeah. big elaborate fight sequences. We have those fight sequences, but they don't overdo it. Here. No, and I think that's good. No, no, like, well, you, never, think, you, yeah. you, you don't get, you don't quite get to the levels of boredom that you do in Fundable. No, no, you're right. Um, yeah, great. So I think we both agree on two and a half out of five. I then. think, I think we both do. I mean, just a few other facts for you. Um, I, I mentioned about uh, Charles Gray Henderson, who was 39 at the time. Sean mm -hmm. Connery was 37 by this point, hmm. uh, in this way. Um, and Donald Pleasant was 49 
Oh well, only yeah. only forty nine. Donald Pleasance was was famously in The Great Escape mm. before this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And the two actresses, the two. And he Jeff- later on went on to in the Halloween that Halloween. Yes, franchise. he was in Halloween. Yeah. He's the Doctor in that. Yeah. That's probably a better scene, yeah. better film for him yeah, yeah. than this one, in my view. Charles Gray actually, I watched uh, I watched a movie over the weekend called The Jigsaw Man. Did you? Have you no. Did you take a watch at it? I've not seen that. Uh, one. Not great, not great. I, I was I was very disappointed actually because it has so many of the original cast from the Bond mm. franchise. It's got Anthony Dawson makes an appearance. Oh yeah. I also watched Dialing for Murder of Anthony Dawson. Great villain in that film. It has Charles Gray. It has Vladek Shabal mm. who played Kronstein. It's got. Uh, I mean, it's directed by Terence Young, edited and second directed by Peter Hunt. So it's a great movie if anyone you know, wants to give it a, give it a go. Yeah. But, but not you know, it just doesn't stand up. Compared to the Bond no. franchise, but. look, um, look, yeah, listen. I, where, yeah. Where, do, where do we go from well, here? Well, let's just before we do that, I was just going to say the, the the two women, the two Japanese, one's twenty eight, one's twenty four, and uh, Karen Dor, who played Hilda, she's twenty nine. All age appropriate with Sean mm-hmm. Connery. Mm-hmm. You know, this is this is a sort of right of age where obviously it goes a bit askew in some of the the, the later films, particularly Roger Moore. Roger where the gap yeah. is getting yeah. really low in this one. Where do we go from here? Yeah, great question. What's your thinking? Where do you want to go? Well, last time around, we got to this point and we then went into Pierce Bros. Uh, we mm. went to Daniel Craig. So we could yeah. we could go to Daniel Craig. We could, we could watch Casino Royale. Casino Royale? We could. Yeah. We could. But what were, what were, your, what were your thoughts coming in? That's a great one. I, yeah. Let's do Casino Royale. Or do you want to go to, Dal- to Dalton and mix it up a bit? Let's do let's do Casino Royale and then we do a Dalton. Okay, agreed. Let's agreed. do that it. Sounds like a plan. Because I was extremely critical. The last one we did was Skyfall, which I said was one of the worst Bond films. Hated it. This is clearly one which is considered to be one of the best Bond films. And, 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 you know, and it's very difficult because yeah. I think Skyfall's one of the best, which I don't agree I have with. Actually, I have actually watched... I actually was, I was with my parents down in Bournemouth for a few days and my, my mum and my dad really liked Skyfall. You know, Skyfall was a very... It's got a very popular appeal. So then they, they wanted to watch all of the, all of the Craig movies. Really, right. in turn. So we, we crammed... We watched three Craig movies in the space of... like We, didn't, we had already seen Skyfall a couple okay. of weeks ago. We watched Casino Royale. Then we watched Quantum of Solace, which... Didn't go down pretty well. Didn't go really? down that well. Really? Um, and then we finished with Spectre, which also was... Hmm. Uh, but Casino Royale, but, yeah. clearly, okay. I think we both agree it's the best Craig film, but we'll... We'll, we'll see. We'll we will, we'll, okay, so let's do it. Casino Royale, it is. Yep. We will watch that one and we will meet next week and we will see whether or not uh, we agree or whether we disagree uh, and, and see what our thoughts are. But um, Okay. Okay. Well, Daniel, pleasure as always. My name is Harrison. I'm here with Daniel. This is Spoken Not Stirred, a James Bond podcast. I am Tanaka. Please call me Tiger. Flor Tanaka, how do you feel about me? I love you. But I'm glad we got that out of the way.